It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast, probably the last one for 2019 because we don't really want to do it between Christmas and New Year's. So, uh, Gabe DeArmond, Mitchell Forty here. We're going to talk some football, National Signing Day, all that. But first, we're going to talk basketball. Bragging rights up this weekend, Saturday at noon in St. Louis. To talk about it with us, Jeremy Warner. He covers the Illini for 247 Sports. Jeremy, what's going on, man? Uh, a lot, but not as much as you guys, man. New coach, signing day, bragging rights. Busy yeah, time, it, huh? it, you know, it's been a busy day just trying to get it all done before maybe December 24th or busy week, I guess. But uh, all right. So I know you're getting ready to uh, to go into interviews uh, with some of the Illinois basketball guys. Uh, where Where's Brad Underwood's team at through, you know, 11, 12 games this season coming into this game? Well, I think at the end of the day, they kind of are where we thought they'd be. There probably were hopes that they would be nine and two with another marquee win at this point because there are some high expectation guys and uh, I can, we kind of joke on the beat that Andy Katz set the expectations a little too high because he's been drinking a lot of orange and blue Kool-Aid. Um, he had Illinois in his top 20 in the preseason, had them rising even though they didn't add any players. Uh, plus, Illinois just hasn't won games, right? Like they finished under 500 the first couple of years with Brad Underwood, haven't been to a tournament in six years. So I think they just had to learn how to win. And, and early on, I think they struggled with the preseason hype that they thought they had arrived just because they returned a lot of talent. They added a guy like Kofi Coburn. Uh, but Arizona was a little bit of a wake-up call that um, they aren't quite good enough to just show up and, and uh, have a, have a big-time victory on the road like that. And then they came back. They, they feasted on some cupcakes and had some 100-point games. And then they just dropped an egg in the first half against Miami, had a great comeback, but ended up losing that game with a, a charge by Aodisumu in the, in the last uh, closing seconds there. And that was a big wake-up call for the team that um, they are not good enough to show up against anybody, especially in, in a Big Ten that is loaded, uh, and, and win. And, and they can't play a pretty style of basketball. They, they aren't good enough offensively to just think they're going to score and outscore everybody. So ever since then, guys, they've really bought into kind of a Brad Underwood uh, identity, which is interesting that it's taken this long to get there. But they played lockdown defense the last three games, had a bad uh, close to Maryland, but they were up by 15 points uh, at a top-five team in the country and just really couldn't score in the last five minutes. But they fixed that against Michigan. They got a marquee win over a top-ten team at home and then had a really business-like win where they played fantastic defense against Old Dominion. So I think Illinois kind of found itself. Uh, it's only for three games here, but uh, I think they've shown the last two weeks or last three games that they can be uh, an NCAA tournament team and that they can be maybe a team uh, that's knocking down the door of the rankings at some point this season. Well, Jeremy, you mentioned Kofi Cokeburn, the freshman. He's been, uh, you know, on paper, one of the biggest different difference makers for Illinois this season, averaging a double-double. Uh, just, just, you know, what, what are kind of his, his strengths and weaknesses and how much has his presence uh, just changed the Illini team so far? It's completely changed everything they do. Uh, if you, if we've seen Brad Underwood the last couple of years, guys. You've seen it. It's that high-pressure West Virginia-style defense that gets in people's grills. 
Uh, but they also give up a lot of layups. They were terrible at that. They fouled a lot at the highest free throw rate, I think, among Power 5 teams the last couple of years. Uh, and it didn't lead to success, right? I mean, there was a young team the last couple of years, uh, but they didn't win enough games. They uh, were one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. Uh, but now they kind of pack it in defensively, and they got a guy in the back, and Kofi Coburn, that's one of the elite rebounders in the country, uh, and a pretty good shot blocker as well. And then offensively, instead of you know running the, the spread all the time, uh, they kind of run inside out instead of being a perimeter-oriented team. So uh, Kofi Coburn's unlike any player we've seen in Illinois uniform, maybe ever. Uh, even talking to a guy like Deion Thomas, who's the all-time leading scorer here in Illinois, was kind of a low-post scorer in the early 90s. Uh, he thinks Kofi's unlike anyone that's been in the Illinois uniform. So seven foot, 285, big, physical. But what has surprised us guys is, you know, in Illinois had Jeremiah Tillman committed, we kind of knew foul trouble would be an issue for him. We kind of thought that he'd be a frustrating player um, at times, but even though he kind of changed things and you need big men like him, Kofi doesn't follow a lot. Um, the one game he did was Maryland, and it really hurt Illinois, but he's got a really low foul rate, uh, and he's a lot smarter than we expected, and he's quicker up and down the court than we thought. Um, but he's just a low-post, old-school banger, um, great rebounder, changes everything Illinois does. The one thing he hasn't been tested in quite yet, guys, is uh, defending ball screens. Can he hedge? Is he quick enough laterally? Uh, Illinois has done a pretty good job of avoiding that so far, um, but he can be tested there, and um, that's probably how teams will attack him. and probably what will keep him um, kind of off the charts of NBA teams at this point, but he's been far better than we thought, and he is easily the MVP of this game. Well, the one thing we can promise is that he will have to defend a ball screen early, and Jeremy or, uh, Jeremiah Tillman will likely commit an offensive foul on said <laughs> ball screen because that happens literally every game. The other guy that, that everybody from Missouri needs to know for Illinois is obviously Ayo DeSunmo, and a lot of people thought he was going pro last year. Um, could have, certainly. Why did he come back, and, and is he a better player than he was a year ago? That's the second part of your question, I, I think he probably is, but he hasn't quite lived up to the hype yet. Um, I will say that I would assume he's still a very, very, very good Big Ten player and one of the better guards Illinois uh, has had in a while. He decided to come back. He probably could have been an early second-round pick, um, but – I don't think of brand. Um, he's a guy that from a young age has thought brand and, and what's my legacy going to be. Uh, and I always always thought of that and leading Illinois back to an NCAA tournament is he said, we need to dance. He had a whole video uh, when he came back that he himself produced with a friend um, that <laughs> we need to dance and I'm going to lead him there. Um, and he had a rough start to the season. Um, hasn't been as efficient offensively. Hasn't been as good shooting wise. But he is elite in transition, guys. Uh, he is a blur. Like, if D. Brown was uh, the one-man fast break, um, Io's probably 2.0 version of that. Um, Io's got some length to him. He's really gotten better, I think, defensively. But he hasn't been maybe the NBA star you think. And I think his draft stock has probably fallen a little bit because I do think this is a better guard draft uh, than, than last year. A lot of point guards in this class. So I, I think most Atlanta fans will tell you he's been – frustrating so far maybe hasn't lived up to the hype of an NBA draft pick but he's still a very good player uh, and I think he's kind of settled in the last couple of games where uh, it felt like he was pressing he said he wasn't felt like he was forcing things to kind of live up to lottery hype first round draft pick hype uh, but recently he's been playing pretty good ball Jeremy just 
kind of looking on paper, these two teams appear to have somewhat similar strengths and weaknesses. Obviously, you know, Illinois got some better wins this season, but, you know, both teams have a, an interior guy they typically want to play through, uh, haven't shot the three ball great, uh, struggle at times with turnovers, but rebound really well, especially in Illinois' case. What, what do you feel like is kind of the X factor with them? You know, for Missouri, a lot of times it's Jeremiah Tillman and, and turnovers. Is, is, is there one or two things that you say going into pretty much every game with Illinois? Okay, if these if they do one of these two things, they got a pretty good chance to win today? I think it's just being focused from the start, which, as you guys know, covering this game, I mean, uh, you know, I, I hate the cliche throughout the records, but just the energy and excitement of this game, especially compared to what was not there during the Kim Anderson and John Gross era, um, you know, with Mark Smith and, and all the bad blood there, Jeremiah Tillman, Javon Pickett, there is another level of energy and really um, you almost got to calm yourself down a little bit in this game. I think Illinois and, and Missouri now have both played in these couple games. There's some experience in this game now, but that's always a factor. But I think Illinois just needs to play an ugly game, and I do think we're going to get an ugly game with these two teams that are pretty good defensively and, and not very good uh, from shooting the three. I do think one factor that is in Illinois' favor is I do think they're a little bit more talented of a team, but they have gotten to the free throw line and had a huge advantage. They've made 115 more free throws than their opponents. They've shot 150 more through 11 games. Uh, so that's been a big boost. And Kofi Coburn has made, I think it's 27 of his last 31 or something like that. So you think big man, uh, he struggled. He only made 50% during his first five games. He's been great from there. Uh, and he draws a lot of fouls. And, of course, Jeremiah Tillman. Can he stay out of foul trouble against Kofi? Can Kofi stay out of foul trouble against Jeremiah? And then which team's actually going to make shots? Um, you know Mark can get hot every once in a while. Um, Trent Frazier can get hot every once in a while. He's been pretty good in this game the last couple of years. Um, but I, I think it's just uh, intensity and who can deal with the moment because I do think it's going to be a grinded-out game, an emotional game. Who deals with that a little bit better? Who's the more mature team? I think it's going to matter a lot. Well, you mentioned the foul trouble. It would be wonderful if we could actually believe the officials would go in and say nobody wants to watch this game if Kofi and Tillman are on the bench four minutes in, but we know they won't yeah. do that. So uh, right. la last thing for you, and then we'll let you run. Just I, from my view of this, Missouri has to win this game. I, I mean, if they want to have any hopes to do what they say they want to do and they think they can do, they have to win this game. Illinois, it would be nice to win this game. I'm not sure they have to. Do you think that's that's accurate from both sides? That's probably the accurate way of putting it because Illinois fans were kind of calling the Michigan game a must-win, which in my opinion, like I, I, I care about words. It's, it's not a must-win because they have so many opportunities in the Big Ten. Illinois um, has won some games where they've set themselves – up decently heading into the Big Ten slate. So I agree they don't have to win. Missouri probably needs it more. It's a higher-ranked win for Missouri than it would be for Illinois at this point. But for Illinois, the non-conference um, doesn't give them a lot of opportunities outside of Arizona and Miami. Uh, Miami really wasn't a tough opponent. It was a quad-three loss at this point. Um, they don't have many opportunities at quad-two wins or anything like that. So this is a, a big game for Illinois, maybe not as much resume, but just to get wins, the non-conference does not provide them a lot of opportunities. The Big Ten is really tough. I think you've got to go at least uh, 11 wins if you want to certify yourself uh, with an NCAA tournament bid, which is what the season's all about. Maybe if they win Missouri, they can knock that down to just go 500 in Big Ten play. We'll have enough quality wins where we can get in. Uh, but this is a big game for Illinois in that regards. Um, plus, I think just momentum. They've played well the last couple games, three games. Um, and if they beat Missouri, I think it gives you a lot of confidence going into a Big Ten um, slate where 
there are a lot of good teams. There aren't a lot of great teams, but one through 12, there's a lot of teams like Missouri, whether it's Rutgers or whether it's, um, you know, Penn state, who's had a really good start to the year, Wisconsin, Northwestern. Like there's just a lot of teams that you might think you have an advantage on, but you got to take care of business night in and night out. So I think for Illinois, it's a big business trip again, kind of like uh, the last game kind of proven that we can be a consistent team. Uh, that's why I think it's really important for, for the Illini. But I do agree that, for NCAA tournament purposes, Missouri needs it more than Illinois, but boy, um, Illinois would be digging itself a hole if they lose to Missouri. All right, Jeremy, appreciate you taking some time, man. I know you got a busy day. I uh, hope to catch up with you this weekend. Thanks, Jeremy. Always appreciate it, guys. All right, Jeremy Werner, uh, 247 Sports, covers Illinois, does a good job. He's got a radio show over in Illinois as well that I've been on a few times. And, uh, I, I mean, I have two thoughts about this game. Number one is I'm just happy it matters mm-hmm. again because it's it it's no fun when it doesn't. Um, and it, it's it's good to see the arena. I don't know if it'll be packed at noon, but there will be a decent number of people on both sides. And, again, like if you want to talk about anything that Missouri's talking about, this has to be a win. There's, there's no other way to look at it. Right. I mean, Missouri kind of obviously, I mean, not kind of, obviously dug itself into a, a pretty huge hole in the non-conference already, lo- lost the two games in, in Kansas City and and obviously losing to Charleston Southern. And I think this typically is the game where a lot of people really start to, to think about basketball season and pay attention. And if they lose this game, you're going to have zero excitement and momentum and also not to mention, you know, much of a resume you're, going into you're conference. You're going to be seven play. and five. Right. Yeah. You you know going into conference play it's it's you you're in an outside looking in uh, going to have to to win a lot of games in in SEC play going into or to try to have a shot at the NCAA tournament and you're not going to have a ton of people really excited and and you know busting down the doors of uh, of Mizzou Arena so like you said I mean this you know it, it should be it was a fun environment last year I would guess it'll be close to that this year even though it's uh it's at noon so um, it, it should be a pretty good test. This is where we say every game should be. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm. I, everyone is rioting. The fans are upset. We are thrilled. We are so excited. We try to endear ourselves to you guys by making sure you know that we love everything you hate, <laughs> vice versa. So there you go. That's uh, that's where we're at this weekend. All right. Now we're going to turn our attention to National Signing Day. Well, the first day of the National Signing Period. We don't get the impression anything's going to happen Thursday or Friday for Missouri. And Mitch and I have some knowledge of it, but Sean Williams, who has covered this class for us all year long, probably knows more. So, uh, Sean, let's just, just talk for 12 minutes. We'll just turn it over to you, man. Just just tell us about the 2020 <laughs> class in 12 minutes. Is that good? God bless. I'm not that exciting. Yeah, but, uh, no, just kind of initial thoughts. I, I mean, I, I don't know. We thought it was a weird signing day yesterday because we knew going in it, it wasn't going to be quite as active as a lot of them have been, but it was over by two o'clock. Uh, they just kind of spread things out throughout the day, and it was—I mean, ten guys—and that's what happens when there's a coaching change now. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the coaching change, and that's big—the timing of it. I mean, you just don't have a lot of time. I mean, you know, he was hired on uh, officially on Tuesday or Tuesday or, in the, or Wednesday. I can't remember what day, but anyway, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I mean, you just—you don't have enough time to just go out, but. I, go out and just find kids and have a big recruiting weekend. I mean, I think I think his game plan was great. You know, you come in, you make contact with all your commits. You, you know, you put faces to names and try to get those kids back on campus. Um, you know, get to know those guys a little bit well and see who's wanting to, who, who wants to stay in the class and try, try to 
conserve the class as much as you can. And so I think you did a good job in that over the weekend. Sean, I think the two guys that, that generated the most buzz among the uh, the group that stuck together and ended up signing with Mizzou yesterday was Elijah Young, the running back out of Knoxville, and J.J. Hester, the receiver out of Tulsa. Uh, you know, just how how seriously were they looking around, and and how uh, you know what what how much can they bring? Do you feel like those are guys that can you know make an impact for Mizzou? Yeah, I mean, I think those are guys that will definitely make an impact on offense. Uh, you know, I, I know Elijah Young, he. You know, he was looking around, and really, it based it was going to be based off how that visit went over the weekend, and obviously, it went well. If things didn't go well, or he didn't really vibe with uh, Drake Whitzer, you know, the new staff he was bringing in, he was going to probably just not enroll early and extend his recruiting out to February. I know he visited Purdue before he went up to Missouri, uh, but her, you know, didn't really vibe well with Purdue while he was up there, so. Uh, it's really good to get him because he's going to be a mid-year and real league guy. So you're going to get him on campus in the spring. So uh, you know he'll kind of have a head start head on uh, on everything. So and uh, you know Hester too. I mean uh, that's a big one just because at the time when he first committed, he was a four-star kid. But I mean he's tall, he's long. Obviously can uh, you know take the top off the defense with his length. And uh, you know he was obviously looking around. I mean he stayed committed, but. You know, I was looking at UCLA. I know uh, Nebraska was kind of sniffing around there a little bit, showing some interest, wanting him to at least uh, visit sometime in January. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously going back up there to Missouri and over the weekend connecting with Dreamwoods, obviously that helped out. And uh, you know, yeah, he uh, that was a big win. Those those were probably the two biggest wins for uh, for Dreamwoods over the weekend, just because those were kind of. Guys that were looking around, but he was able to get those guys completely back into class and sign. So, all right. So let's look at the other side. I think there were five or six guys that that decommitted. Not all of them signed somewhere yesterday. Uh, Jalen St. John is still out there. First, I, I don't know if you have any feeling for whether Missouri has any chance to get him back. But then beyond that, did did any of the any of the switches uh, over the last couple weeks surprise you at all? <laughs> Well, I think I think the one that did surprise us all just uh, in our group text was uh, Dominic Johnson just because right. it kind of came out even of Even though apparently it did not surprise Missouri at all, it surprised. Yeah, others. yeah, yeah, yeah. It did, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess things happened. But you know, I mean, he was one of those guys that came up over the weekend. You know, I talked to him just you know text messaging and uh, seemed to have a really good time. Had a lot of positive things to say. It seemed like he was going to sign. And told me he was going to, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, things changed on Wednesday, and obviously things happened between, you know, uh, the weekend and Wednesday that that made that happen, I guess. So, uh, yeah, surprise to us. Uh, yeah, and, you know, honestly, other than that, I guess the other biggest surprise was probably, uh, you know, Jalen Logan Redding. You know, obviously he didn't come on an official visit over the weekend, so you kind of saw the writing on the wall, but – you know, being a local guy there at Rockbridge, you know, you would think he would want to, you know, come back and maybe, you know, communicate more with the new head coach and see if he would stay in the class. But instead, he goes to Minnesota for an official visit and, uh, you know, flips to those guys. So that was probably the other surprise. The other one's not too surprising, like Ray Curry, you know, just because of the previous previous relationship with uh, Coach Davis and obviously Coach Hildum's at Arkansas now. Um, that didn't shock me that he flipped to Arkansas, so. One of the things that, you know, we've gotten a lot of questions about and I don't frankly have a great answer for is, you know, of Missouri's 
decommits. There have been several along the defensive line, even though Brick Haley, the defensive line coach, is one of the coaches sticking around, as is Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator. I don't know if you have a better sense from having talked to uh, to some of these kids, but but what what do you think was is you know the driving factor in in you know some of the defensive linemen looking around? Is it just kind of coincidence that that you know it, it was it a, a bad spot for all of them where uh, they were they were thinking about maybe looking around anyway and the coaching change happened or, or what was there something else going on there? Yeah, I mean it's kind of a head scratcher, but I kind of. Uh... You know, on your on your second part there, I think it was more a situation where you know Odom gets fired. I think a lot of these guys were proactive. I mean, especially Cooper Davis and Robert Wooten. I mean, Wooten was the first guy the day Odom got fired. I mean, he decommitted like hours later. So I think he was just more proactive in trying to uh, you know maybe find a new spot because you you know you don't know if these coaches are coming back. You know, it's not a sure thing that you know Haley was going to stay on the staff. So uh, being a little bit more proactive in that that approach. But yeah, it is really surprising that they. You know, lost a defensive lineman like that with Brick Haley staying on. I mean, you, we just talked about Jalen Logan Redding, you know, a guy in, in their backyard. You know, that's kind of a head scratcher that he went to Minnesota. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, definitely defensive line is going to be something that they're going to be uh, focusing on in January and February, that's for sure. All right, so speaking of January and February, like I hate to put you on the spot because I don't know the answer to this question, but we know they're going to go heavy Juco, maybe some transfers. I mean, you have any idea for kind of what's out there or, or what they might look at? Because the truth is now the early signing period is mostly the signing period, and outside of a few elite kids, it's a lot tougher to find guys in February now. Yeah, I mean, your guess is to get an eye on that. I'm I'm going to do a little bit, a little bit of digging. I mean, it, I think they'll go, you know, Juco uh, a lot, and probably get some grad transfers too to kind of plug some holes. And uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, because. What kind of defense? You know, you assume the defense is going to be pretty similar than it was, has been in previous years with Walters coming back. But you know, we don't know that for sure. So, what's going to be their focus? You know, where's who are some guys that are out there they can go after? Kind of a lot of unknowns right now, just because everything's so new with the new head coach. So uh, that'll be interesting. It really just kind of track over these next couple of months and kind of see who they uh, start extending offers to. I, I know. You know, we talk about. <clears throat> the early signing period becoming de facto signing day just without you know asking you to obviously to go back into specifics because I know you said you have to do some digging for specific names how much talent is still out there for a team that's looking to like Mizzou is pick up 10 guys or so in the the late signing period yeah it's kind of hard to really tell I mean you know I think there'll be some guys out there that you know maybe um you know kids make kids make weird decisions this time you know they they want to maybe wait and sign and see what else is coming up. So there's probably some good guys out there. Uh, maybe some guys that got passed over and uh, by other teams. And, uh, you know, it's I'm, there's a lot of talent out there. And I, it's just kind of uh, it's just kind of about timing, really. Uh, you know, I think a lot of these uh, – yeah, I, I really don't have a, a really good answer on that. I mean, there, I'm sure there's talent in the talent pool, and a lot of these kids want to wait and sign in February just to see if other schools get involved. You know, and, there, and there's going to be some schools in Missouri situation. You talk about that, Ole Miss, Florida State. You know, teams with new head coaches that are going to be looking at guys like that too. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to really see what happens. All right, well, Sean, appreciate it, man. Uh, I guess I don't know. You get like a few days, and then we'll talk 2021. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> All right, but have a good one. Thanks for everything. Thanks, right. Sean. Thanks.
All right, that's Sean Williams, who, again, covers recruiting. I, I mean, we all cover it, but Sean is is the guy that's doing the day-to-day <laughs> stuff and, and talking to most of these kids and all that. And, again, just, I don't know, it was weird yesterday. Uh, it, nobody, I mean, it's not, it doesn't reflect poorly on Eli Drinkwitz or anything like that. It's kind of what you have to expect when you make a coaching change and you hire a guy with eight days to put together part of a class. Right, yeah, it's just how the calendar shakes up right now. Um, We thought maybe they'd sign anywhere from like 11 to 13 guys, sign 10. It's not like it's a huge red flag, Um, but he's got his work. I mean, the staff's got their work cut out for him because you can't end up having a signing class of 10 kids and one of whom's a kicker. Like, they have to go find some talent uh, in this late period, and and I'm thinking they're going to end up signing anywhere from like 10 to 12 guys in the late period. So I think they're going to have to get a little creative. Um, Obviously, you know, there's more people in the transfer portal than ever. You've got grad transfers. You've got JUCOs. You've got kids. Kids who, like Sean mentioned, uh, some some sometimes people who are committed to smaller schools will wait until the uh, the late signing period with the hope that maybe you know they might get some more attention when there's fewer kids for coaches to scout. So there's people out there, but uh, but it you know when you're putting half half of your class together now in about six weeks uh, with a lot of kids already committed, it is a challenge. Yeah, and it, they currently have room for seven kids. We anticipate that will grow because there will probably be some transfers. Yeah, off the there always roster. are. There. There haven't been yet. Um, you know, there have been, a, there maybe has been a weird tweak. Uh, <laughs> there have been a couple walk-ons that have, have transferred, but no scholarship players at this point. We expect those to to happen. We don't know how many or who, but mm-hmm. there will probably be a few of them. Um, but it, the last thing kind of on this, I, I think the mistake people always make is they look at a recruiting class and how it impacts the next year's team. Right. This recruiting class isn't really about the 2020 season. The the 2020 season is going to be mostly on what Drinkwitz can get out of the guys that are already here and in a couple guys, maybe Elijah Young, J.J. Hester, maybe a couple guys like that for next year. But where a class like this shows up, if it's going to hurt you, where it's going to hurt you is more like the 2022 season. Yes. You know, when these kids are redshirt sophomores and juniors, if you're looking at a class where you had to take six Juco kids and a couple transfers – and so you've really only got 10 guys in this class and say four of them don't pan out, then all of a sudden that junior class that should be the backbone of your team, that's where maybe the coaching change and all that causes you to take a step back in a year that otherwise it wouldn't have. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we've been talking about how Eli Drinkwitz on the surface, he, he inherits a decent situation. I mean, Missouri has talent, and we talked about that during the coaching searches. That's a reason why it's a decently attractive job. Some, it's not out of the question to think he could come in here and win seven, eight games this season, whereas you know some of these schools like Arkansas is years away from just being bowl eligible. But the the challenge and where his situation, you know, is, is maybe worse than a little bit worse than people see is, yeah, like you said, you're trying to put together this recruiting class on the fly. And, you know, if you end up with this being a quote unquote lost class uh, stacked on top of, you know, I mean, who knows how the last class Barry Odom recruited the, the 2019 class is going to end up being. But it, so far, I mean, it was the lowest rated of, of Odom's classes and no one really, you know, made a huge impact this past year. Say you end up with a couple classes back to back like that. Like, that's a really hard thing to overcome. So, yeah, well, it'll be interesting. It's, it's you know, one of those things I know everyone wants an answer now. We, we won't know. Uh, for really even a couple of years, you know, how much this affects it and how much Eli Drinkwitz is able able to overcome it, um, you know, maybe with future recruiting classes or other creative solutions, but it's something to monitor. Yeah, so we did get to talk with Drinkwitz yesterday. We'll talk with him again on Saturday. We had posted some of this on our message board, but 
I, I think we have some people that listen here that maybe don't pay for that. So just kind of first impressions of the first chance to meet him in anything other than a press conference. I mean, I, I think he's going to be entertaining to cover because I, I think he's got some wit. I, I think he's got a lot of confidence and like, I, I think it will be a little bit more entertaining interactions than we've had maybe in media settings the last mm-hmm. few years. Yeah. You never know. I mean, he might get sick of us. Uh, once he starts losing games, it might go away, but yeah, he's very confident. Like you said, um, and he, he's not afraid to, to, you know, you know, give you a little bit of a witty answer before maybe expanding on it a little bit. Um, he's, he's got some personality, which, you know, I mean, just a lot of times football coaches make an effort to stifle. I think he's kind of made an effort to, to, to make known so far. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, he's obviously very energetic. He's pretty young. I, I, I definitely understand why people are excited and I, I can see why he's resonated with the fan base so far. Um, you know, I just, you always want to wait and see uh, if that sticks around once, once games are lost. <laughs> right. I mean, I, and Hey, maybe you guys are right. And he'll never lose a game. We assume at some point he will. That seems unlikely. Yes, I think uh, I think Missouri. You know, I don't think it's very likely that Missouri is going undefeated for like multiple seasons forever. In a row. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he goes undefeated two seasons in a row, I bet he gets hired somewhere. I would guess so. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I, obviously the the first part of the signing period out of the way, uh, the Eli Drinkwitz era fully underway. Bragging rights this weekend. Again, uh, next Wednesday is Christmas. We're probably not going to come in and record a podcast on December 26th. We're uh, definitely not doing yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we at are. Least, at least you can. I, I will not. I'll be out of town. Okay, yeah, me too, actually. So we're not going to do that. Um, but sometime right after the first of the year, I guess probably January 2nd because Missouri will open SEC play in Lexington, Kentucky on January 4th. So We'll come back on the second in two weeks and and kind of reset things for you guys. So uh, thanks for listening. Hope everybody has a, a good holiday season, and we'll be back in two weeks.